0: Hello and welcome to People of Note on Classic FM 102.7. I'm Richard Cock, and every Sunday from 6 to 9 we talk to someone who is a person of note and listen to music of their choice. And my guest in People of Note tonight is Jonathan Crosley who describes himself as guitarist, composer and cyber-protagonist. <laughs> <laughs> now Jonathan, I haven't seen you for some years now. Where have you been? I'm um, protagonizing, I guess, maybe... <laughs> It's Cyber <laughs> protagonist.
1: <laughs> um, yeah. You know, at, at in early 2014, I took a break, kind of from performing, and uh, you know, and attended to having two kids, Eliska and I, my wife. You know, we've had two children, and also I was I was busy wrapping up a PhD, which I handed in earlier this year.
0: That's always a relief, isn't it?
1: Yeah, yeah. It's a lot like dental surgery, if you want to. Uh, undergo a PhD but no. No I'm definitely glad it's done. Uh it it was a very focused kind of thing and didn't leave that much room for performing. I did some concerts with James Grace, you know, along the way but but nothing really out in the public eye. And now are you gonna get back to performing again? Yeah, absolutely. Um I've even uh, released uh, an album, already. since then, we've, I had it in the PhD early in March and by the 11th of May we've released a new record and I'm busy uh, producing a new one as well. Are we going to hear some of that? Really? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I'm looking forward to playing
0: uh, some of that today, I think three or four tracks. That's fabulous. So, gosh, you've already been going at it. <laughs> uh, what do you mean by cyber protagonist?
1: Uh, I mean, I guess I guess it's a bit of a, a gag. I can't say that that was my idea. I, kinda, I can't remember who I nicked that term from. But um, you know, as 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 my career, you know, Richard, you've kept tabs on my career. I was originally a classical guitarist at the start. I did a classical music degree, then I went on to jazz and did a masters in jazz, and and kind of I've always just had this restless exploring thing going on. And and part of the PhD was really um, looking at the intersection of technology and musical practice, especially especially through the lens of my own work which is really a fusing of classical music and jazz, improvisation, and looking at how technology can enable that in various ways. So the best way of summing up that is that c- cybernetics was the area of study, the interface between machines and musical instruments being their own type of machine. Um, and so sort of protagonizing, engaging with that in
0: different ways to see what the outcomes would be. Sounds quite exciting. And you still have to wait to hear the outcome of this PhD. Yes, I'm. am still waiting. One, there's one one report outstanding, so one one hopes it's it goes through fairly easily. <laughs> Absolutely fine. <laughs> but now your first choice of music looks as though it may be from your your latest CD. Yeah, the 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 track is Deep River, and
1: uh, it's from the album called Deep and Wide, which we've just released, and it features the incredible vocalist um, Leborimete.
0: Deep River. Uh, traditional african-american spiritual there but in a new arrangement by
1: well yes mm. i yeah I, I arranged that i arranged the guitar part I, I can't say that in that particular work that we did a, a kind of detailed arrangement. some of the others but um that one was definitely referencing mahalia jackson um that was where the inspiration came from and uh i must say L- Lebo remet is a a new colleague in my life and sh- she's got the most incredible range i mean in that one she the voice is right down at the bottom of the register, and some of the other things she did for me, she's right up at the top, she's fantastic.
0: And just tell us about the CD, Deep and Wide, which you've just put out. Sure, the, the album,
1: uh, if you do search it, it'll come up uh, under the artist Eliska Crossley. Um, that was Eliska's idea, and so it felt best to put it out under her name. The album features a selection of vocalists uh, from the church, where I also work as music director, which is Every Nation Ministries in Rosebank. And uh, the idea that Aliska had was to have a worshipful album for mothers and babies, done in kind of a a kind of timeless way. So she gave a lot of imagery and suggestions. You know, imagine someone sitting on the back porch, a grandmother whispering to the child. These are the things she came up with. And then uh, in terms of the music itself, I tried to do the arrangements in ways that um, would last. A lot of children's albums you find are done in kind of gimmicky ways. You know, um, so they have a limited shelf life. We tried to capture things that were old, things that were new, things that were uniquely kind of African, emerging out of our local territory, expressed on the guitar, but also um, kind of sophisticated and had longevity. And if people want to get this CD, how do they do it? All oh, right. Um, so if it is available on iTunes, which probably is the easiest way to get it, um, uh, so if you go onto iTunes and you search Eliska Crossley and Deep and Wide, it's available there. Um, locally, you can get it uh, from the bookstore, actually, at Every Nation Ministries in, in Rosebank. Ironically, the address is actually in Parktown North, but the church is Every
0: Nation Ministries <laughs> in Rosebank. You can search that. Um, yeah, but it is available online. And it's it's rather beautifully produced uh, and has... If I may say so, a beautiful smell also.
1: Yeah, that's absolutely intentional. That's uh, that's you've made my day. <laughs> so one of the things that really frustrated us, um, or frustrates me, with um, iTunes or digital stuff is it doesn't have that tactile quality. You know, I remember I remember buying vinyls when I was young and getting the vinyl out and opening it up. You know, having those. Remember those three way folding out giant. Pieces of art, you know, and somehow there was that relationship between the tactile, the artwork, and the tactile feel of it, and the, the recording. So, so we went, we went for that with this. We specially selected the paper and the Im- imagery. It was done by a designer in Hawaii, so it, it has that beautiful old-fashioned
0: quality to it. Beautiful, deep and wide. It's called. Now, your next choice is by Henrik Goretzky. It's part of his Symphony No. 3, the Symphony of Sorrowful Songs, I think it's called. Great. Christine Brewer is the soprano with the Atlanta Symphony Orchestra under Donald Runnicles. Music by Henrik Goretzky from his Symphony No. 3. Christine Brewer was the soprano. The Atlanta Symphony Orchestra was conducted by Donald Runnicles. And that piece has been performed here, I remember, by... um, Weiss du Bell. Oh, he performed that. many years ago. Uh, I think there's just been one performance in South Africa, and that was it. Symphony, is it Symphony of Sorrowful Souls? I think it's called. Symphony of Sorrowful Songs. Yeah. Songs, yeah, songs. Yeah, Beautiful piece, though. Yeah, fabulous. I, I,
1: I'm i sure you remember the the first recording of that, when that came to light. That was on, It was on
0: Nonesuch, was it not? It was Dawn Upshaw on, on That's right. Yeah, it was fantastic. Upshaw. Now, just tell us a bit about yourself, though. I mean, you said... You started off as a classical guitarist, cause that's how I remember you first. Sure. And the fact that you you've done concerts for me at Northwoods and so on with with various other guitarists, um, what what made you change from that to something else? Was it just an exploration that you did? You know, I mean, I, I guess I guess you know, I'm, I'm 41 now, and
1: if I look if I look back at it from a strategic business point of view, it might not have been some of the best ideas, but. I think it was more about music all the time for me and um and so I was always exploring different things. I mean when I grew up, I mean my dad was listening to uh Vangelis and then Bach and then uh Beethoven, followed by Tangerine Dream Experimental Electronica. So right from the age of about three, I remember these musics. Yeah, you were exposed to a
0: lot of different musics, yeah. Yeah.
1: Whereas um I mean, James Grace and I have these, you know, we have these conversations all the time because he's very into classical guitar. Yeah. And I'm very into everything.
0: Yeah. So, <laughs> but, but it's interesting because James has sort of created a niche for himself. And I sure. think you have too.
1: I guess. Yeah. I mean, I, I guess. I mean, I think in, maybe expressed in academia, you know, I'm kind of the guy that does kind of all sorts. Um, whereas James is very focused on that, yeah. and, and which makes the collaboration between us very exciting.
0: Now, your next choice has an interesting title. It's by Richard Boner. It's called Bonatology. So you should just <laughs> tell us what it is before we play it.
1: Well, this is this fantastic. Richard Boner, is—he's um, from Cameroon. He's a bass player, and uh, he—I mean, he had his own stuff before, but he came to light when he started working with the Pat Metheny Group. Um, and th- on that album, where he became so well known, he was doing a combination of this kind of very close knit choral uh, work and also his bass playing.
0: That was called Bonatology or an incantation by Richard Bona. The choice of Jonathan Crosley, who's my guest in People of Note. Some of you may remember from years gone by, Eliska Crosley worked here at Classic FM (laughs) until about 10 years ago, uh, and Jonathan was often in and around the offices of Classic (laughs) FM. Uh, was Was that before you were married also? Were you... Were you wooing her when she was at Classic FM? Wow, no, no, now
1: you're going back. I mean, Whoa. oh dear. I, I met Aliska when I was in first year at Music at Wits and she was in third year, so she was a bit of a, a cradle snatcher there. And then uh, uh, when I was in my final year, I think of Vitz, is when Classic FM was launched. And at that stage, Mary Ruech, the late Mary Ruech was program manager and she brought Alyska on to the sister. That's how we got started. So actually we were already long dating by the time she started okay. to work here.
0: So your, your connections with Classic FM go back a long way then. Yeah, so, actually. Very I- good to have you back. <laughs> <laughs> my, brother and I, my brother-in-law and I, and we, we played the
1: launch. We played two classical guitars at the yeah. launch. she did the launch evening, yeah.
0: yeah, fantastic. Which was in 1996, I think, if I'm not mistaken. And six Pitt, or seven. Six or seven. And Pit Buerta, many listeners will know the name of Pit Buerta because I always thank him for doing his work. He was, he's been with Classic FM right from the beginning. Hey, Pit, right from the beginning. It's fantastic. And he's sitting opposite me here now, (laughs) pressing buttons and finding the right music and so on. So, a long history of Classic FM here. I'm talking to Jonathan Crosley about his work and his life. He's just finished a PhD. Now you better tell us about your PhD too. What what particular area of music were you investigating? Well, I was I was looking at the I mean machine
1: machine and human interfacing, and uh, really looking at the idea that a musical instrument, in a sense, is a machine, a prosthetic, an extension of the body. Musicians kind of adapt themselves to the instrument rather than the other way around. And one of the things that really frustrated me about my work on the electric guitar as opposed to the acoustic is I find the electric guitar to be quite sterile in many ways it has a limited range of nuances whereas the classical guitar has a huge range of nuance so the PhD was trying to find um, technologically enabled ways to bring the level of quality or nuance
0: that is available on the classical guitar into the environment of the electric guitar and are there many ways of doing that with, with ways of uh, of treating the sound and so
1: on yeah in the end I mean the guitar eventually had three outputs going to three separate parts of the room and you can see some pictures of it online but I climb into a mechanical bodysuit and I'm able to move the sound around the room spatially afterwards it became quite orchestral it went beyond the initial scope and got carried away but there you go
0: your next choice uh, strangely enough is two guitarists Ralph Towner and Gary Peacock Playing a piece called Opalesque. That was
1: uh, Ralph Towner and Gary Peepo- Peacock playing Opalesque. Um, what's really interesting, Richard, about uh, Ralph Towner is that he he was one of the guys that inspired me to get into improvisation. So he's a classical guitarist who improvises, and it's always it always fascinated me as a classical musician that uh, improvisation is such a foreign word. Or when we were growing up, I think it's faded now, to be quite honest, overseas. I find uh, classical musicians are able to improvise. Ralph Towner is definitely the guy that inspired me to get
0: into that. Actually, it's interesting, this little insert here about improvisation, because sometimes I give the orchestra just, let's say, a basic hymn tune. Mm -hmm. So they don't have actual parts written out for them. Because normally, orchestral musicians, they love to have everything absolutely delineated as to what they're going to play. Sometimes now I can give them, let's say we do something like Masiti Amen. I just give them the choral part and I say, okay, here we go. Choose a part and let's play. And they, they find that quite difficult. Yes. They're getting used to it now because I'm doing it more often. Yes. But to start with, they were pretty startled by this. And then sometimes I say, okay, now after the next verse, we're going to go up a semitone or a tone or something. And then... They have to think. They have to transpose as we're going along. It's all part of the skills base that that they can build up over years. But you're right. Classical musicians don't like to improvise, unless you're an organist. Sometimes <laughs> organists have to improvise to fill in gaps and so on. Well, that's because the the nomenclature, the figured bass that goes with organ is yeah. something they all study. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And it's
1: it's actually fun to do. I enjoy improvising. It's very interesting. Um, part of my PhD was researching how that happened. I wanted to know how did classical musicians stop improvising so um, maybe somewhere later we can talk about this but uh, the the newest research in the last kind of five years has uncovered how that happened
0: well after your next piece maybe you should tell us well, the next piece is uh, mark Anthony
1: Turnage a great classical composer um, who's working with a jazz guitarist here called John Schofield now John Schofield's actually not playing on the track But this is one of his compositions done with orchestra it's a deutsche gramophone release it's called make me one
0: that was a piece called make me one by mark anthony turnage and john schofield
1: yeah and that's really really interesting because one of the difficulties for um, classical musicians or orchestras doing kind of jazzy things is the swing that is so elusive in jazz Never really sounds quite right, and on this recording it's fabulous because the orchestra is swinging in a really kind of genuine way, whilst also at points playing straight in the classical tradition.
0: I'm just going to explain to listeners, when, uh, when jazz musicians write, for example, quavers, dung dun dung dun dun dun, jazz musicians sometimes play them dun 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 dun, which yeah. is called swing. And there are many variations, of course, in that. And in fact uh, I often have arrangements done uh, by various composers around South Africa and they want it swung but instead of just saying swing right they actually write it out because they don't trust the orchestral musicians to do it properly interesting that's right I mean the jazz musicians talk about it as being wooden is the term they say uh, the swing is not quite loose it's kind of wooden and stiff and I guess they're different conventions in swing as well Uh, like if you have certain rhythms the swing sometimes goes instead of ding-da-ding-da-ding-da it can go ding-da-ding-ding and so on so there are many variations yeah it varies from continent to continent
1: and style to style the specific guy, um, Mark Anthony Turnage, was working with John Schofield, has a very, very distinct approach to swing, which emerges out of um, New Orleans. So out of the uh, the music coming, the original Cajun music emerging from that territory, and he
0: has this way of dragging. He actually
1: swings and then plays behind the time, which is incredibly difficult to do.
0: Yeah, and a lot of times uh people don't play on the beat, which is really hard for classical musicians too. Yes. Uh it's exactly what you're talking about when they say, you know, lay it back a bit or whatever it is, whatever the expression is. But it's a really interesting subject for musicians to discuss. And it's old. It is old. It's old. It was it, around in the Baroque. Yeah. It's called Inigal. In in yeah, Inigal. Yeah.
1: in Egal, so. so
0: where where notes were written quavers tongue, 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 but they were played tongue, da, tongue, da, tongue, da, tongue. Yeah. and there are many examples of that in Baroque music so uh, it's an ancient thing just uh, with new names now
1: and that's what happened I mean in the in the 1700s it fell out of vogue and lots of information was lost I need to return in the 20th century
0: fascinating stuff Yeah, fantastic yeah now your next choice uh, I'm talking to Jonathan Crosley is by Steve Reich it's called pulses
1: yeah, that kind of cuts it off right at the end. It's from the ECM recording of, the uh, original recording of, of Steve Reich's pulses um, done by Ensemble Moderne. And this is, comes this comes from the early period of Steve Reich's minimalist music, um, I think from 1974 to 76 is when he wrote this. And he was looking at phase compositions, so repetitive rhythmic fragments that drift out of phase with each other. And I think if I remember right, there are 12 harmonic fragments in this work that... Interplay in specific ways in and
0: out of phase. Yeah, I remember uh, Kevin Volans does similar things in some of his uh, African feel compositions. Yes, yeah. White Man Sleeps. White Man Sleeps. Yeah. Exactly Fantastic. that. Yeah, yeah, and I guess people these ideas cross from continent to continent about these things. But I think African music. Let's talk about that for a moment, because sure. African music has phasing like that. Plenty of it.
1: Yeah, definitely. I, I think the, the phasing is p- possibly thought of in a different way. I mean, when minimalism came arong- along, it was kind of rhythmic displacement across s- conventional structures of Western music, whereas the African music influence, say, expressed like by the drummers of Burundi, West African, the, the time is cyclical, so they don't divide it. It's not divided into kind of strict, I don't know, um, Euclidean structures that we find so much a part of Western music
0: and the guitar which you play hmm. and have ever since you were little i guess Six, yeah. is widespread across africa different types of stringed instruments which are plucked
1: yeah i mean that, that's possibly why my interests are so diverse i mean the guitar in itself is is has been expressed across rock, jazz, classical music, um, I mean even recently I was looking into Nigerian high life music and there's a specific type of electric guitar playing I'm really trying to master at the moment, which is incredibly difficult. So and that's also why I included the Steve Reich. Steve Reich wrote a fabulous piece for Pat Bathini, um for electric guitar which also uses these same phase techniques, I haven't done it yet. Have you travelled through Africa? Well, I, I haven't I haven't done much Africa to be honest. I've played a few performances. My main travels have been elsewhere, mostly in uh, eastern Europe, but uh, it's something I'd love to do.
0: And d- does your guitar travel well? I mean, you as a guitar player, is it easy for you to travel and lock into various musical activities?
1: I mean, I guess I guess when I've been touring, like I've been touring my own music, so um, it's it's more about the musicians finding the right musicians to lock into what I'm doing. Um, in terms of traveling, I mean, you know, I, I, I saw the article on Classic FM UK where Stephen Israelis was refused a a plane ticket the other day for his cello. So in terms of traveling, oh, it's always a nightmare. Um, guitars have been lost on occasion. Just, <laughs> not bus. Fortunately, I'm very thankful, but. Uh, my cyber suit, the thing that goes with the cyber guitar, the PhD project that got lost once in Europe, and I—it's I, a one-of-a-kind prototype,
0: so I was panicking. Now, your next choice is by Daffer Youssef, called Cantus Lamentus. Now, what a
1: fabulous voice Daffer Youssef has, and and he's an equally fabulous oud um, player, and he's from Turkey, you know, and he he currently lives in between France, between Paris and Vienna. And he releases on a number of different labels. I'm completely mad about his voice. I don't know how he gets like five or six octave range, you know, in the most beautiful way. And and then matches it. Somehow his oud playing is
0: innately tied up with the voice in, a, in an amazing way. Just let to explain the oud. It's... it's Al-ud, I think is the origin of the word lute yeah. also. So it's a type of guitar type instrument. I mean, yeah. y- yeah, I mean, you mistake it for a lute on any good day. Yeah.
1: You, know? you mean it looks like a lute too. Absolutely, yeah. yeah, it looks like a lute. Um, it's it's not fretted, uh, which is really interesting because with, with Yusuf's music, his voice drags under the note and comes back above the note, and he mimics that on the ud. So the pitch is kind of moves around the center rather than being fixed like a
0: guitar would be. And how many different instruments do you play? Do you play the oud?
1: No, no, I'm fairly boring, I must say. I, 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 people ask me, can you play the piano? And I say, um, no, I'm still trying to get the hang of the guitar. So, I guess when I get the hang of the guitar, I might try something else. But <laughs> but there are several different types of guitar also. Yeah, on that album, the new album, Deep and Wide, I play um, a six string banjo, I play a dobro, I play the classical guitar, I play steel string guitar, and I play the bass on that record as well as a bit of percussion. Well, and some of it's coming up now. For sure. This, uh, this track coming up is uh, to the famous one, uh, Lullaby Tula Baba. Uh, And on this uh, What I've done is I'm playing on the dobro and steel string guitar, and I'm
0: imitating the Mbira Tula Baba featuring Jonathan Crosley and Um, Mpohmohali and it's it's from their latest CD called Deep and Wide and Perhaps you do you have a website where people can go which will direct them to The site where they can get these CDs or the iTunes? It's on. It's on iTunes. On
1: iTunes. Like I said, they can search Eliska Crossley and Deep and Wide.
0: And Eliska is I L I S K A. It is. Yeah. Crossley C R O W S -S L E Y. So iTunes. If you're familiar with iTunes, if you're not familiar with iTunes, I'm not sure what to tell you. (laughs) Uh, But I I guess a lot of (laughs) our our listeners would not be familiar with iTunes. Maybe we can talk about that in a moment and the future of iTunes. You're listening to Classic FM 102.7, and the program is People of Note. My guest is Jonathan Crosley, who describes himself as guitarist, composer, and cyber-protagonist. It's just gone seven o'clock. You are tuned to Classic FM 102.7. I'm talking to Jonathan Crosley, who's my guest in People of Note, because that's the program you're listening to. And Jonathan, you've mentioned a couple of times the name Pat Matheny. So I want you to tell us about him because he's been mentioned on this program before and about the Waltz for Ruth.
1: Sure, I mean Pat Pat Matheny has been an incredible inspiration for me and I think for every guitarist. Um, I think because of his diversity and uh, I mean his first album was done when he was 17 years old on ECM and he went straight into the Berkeley teaching faculty. But this particular tune, Waltz for Ruth, is not actually his composition. It's by the bassist Charlie Hayden and this is taken from the album beyond the Missouri sky.
0: Pat Matheny and Charlie Hayden. That was Waltz for Ruth, the choice of Jonathan Crosley, my guest in People of Note. Jonathan, you've also said you're busy preparing another CD, having just issued this one. What is your next one going to be? So the Deep
1: and Wide was released, um, it was the first kind of release on Every Nation Worship, the label um, emerging out of our local church. And uh, we've decided at Every Nation Worship to do an album of hymns. Now, the Every Nation group of churches is in a huge number of territories. I can't even recall. Um, everything from Guam to to Germany to Japan to South Africa to North Africa to the United Arab Emirates. And what we want to try and do is, is address a multi- the multicultural nature of our church in a way that's authentic. So we're trying to take tradi- some traditional Wesleyan hymns some African hymns, and some other hymns from other territories. But what we're going to do is if the, the hymn emerges out of Europe, we're going to arrange it in a way from the United Arab Emirates, for instance. And if it comes from the United Arab Emirates, we're going to arrange it in a way from South America. So trying to mash up cultures in a way, but do it with authentic
0: instruments as well. Now there's another uh, expression which our listeners may not know about, is a mash-up. <laughs> No, just, just explain. <laughs> just explain a mashup to us, because, funny enough, it's a term I only came across maybe a year or eighteen months ago, in terms of putting two tunes together, two perhaps well-known tunes that happened to fit together, uh, which is also an ancient thing in sure. music, sure. but now it's called a mashup.
1: I oh, guess okay. I suppose that's just slang, um, for, for a certain type of arranging. I mean, the, the example that we're doing, for instance, is Great Is Thy Faithfulness, the old Wesleyan hymn. We're doing it in a 7-8 style, emerging from the United Arab Emirates. And uh, Holy, 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 I'm doing it in, in, in a style uh, that's got a raga on it. I've consulted um, a, a tabla player, and we're trying to do it in a very kind of North Indian style as well. So it's mashing the culture up with something that anyone, everyone knows
0: already, like a traditional hymn. So they'll recognize the hymn. but it will have a new twist to it. That's it.
1: Yeah. Just like the track that's coming up next, which is uh, the famous Concerto de run with. Um, on this version, uh, it's Palo Freso on, on horn, Duffer Yusuf again on voice again on oud, And the guitarist, Avan Aset, a huge inspiration for me. You'll hear him all over this track, but you won't recognize it as a guitar. It sounds like voices and kind of spacious angelic sounds.
0: Applause there for... A medley, La Civiliana and Concerto de Ranjweth, performed by Dafa Youssef, Paolo Fresu and Avant Arset. Have you met a lot of these people? No, I wish. I mean Eivant uh, Arset is such a big inspiration for me. I'd love to meet him one day. Do you ever go to places like uh, the jazz festivals around South Africa? Is that of interest to you?
1: Yeah, I've played a number of them and obviously we've attended them across the years. Um, these days, uh, I haven't I haven't done much, obviously, while well. I was completing the PhD.
0: Um, and looking after your children, of course.
1: Yes, and working at church and, and working at WITS as well. But um, I'm trying to get out more again now. Um, the, the most kind of interface I've had at the moment is with uh, uh, Lucas Leggetti. I don't know if you know Lucas. Um, he and I have done some work together, and we're planning a recording for later this year. I enjoy working with him because he's also a classical musician and a kind of rock improviser, a free improviser, so we have synergy between our thinking in terms of the
0: diversity. That's exciting, exploring mm-hmm. these new avenues.
1: Definitely, and working with Lucas is great. I mean, someone who's completely left-field in his thinking, it, it kind of stimulates me as well to come up with more creative ideas. And is South Africa
0: a good place for this? Okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, I'm not sure about that. (laughs) But actually, I I find that people here are pretty open to things. I must say, because I I spent some years living in England, and actually musicians were very uh, categorized there. So if you were, for example, I was in the church music field, there was nothing much that I was doing outside that. And all the guys who worked with me were locked into church music. And the guy who was running the show there that was what he did Mm. and and once you were on that ladder you that's where you stayed more or less so coming back to South Africa for me enabled me to do many different things and certainly here in Joburg I found that you know if I want to do something I just get off my bum and do it and nobody really interferes with you and I I was just that's what I was exploring have you found that or not
1: I mean I guess my experience is is as has, has been a little different to that in the sense that um you know as a classical guitarist i was in my early part of my career i was doing really well doing a lot of concerts some for you i remember doing the concerto the run for the dunnell symphony of fire yeah. many years ago uh, and so things were going well then when i went down the jazz track i i did find that classical musicians dismissed you in many yeah. ways for doing the jazz thing and then jazz musicians have often found it dismissive of classical musicians and and then if you go experimental n- neither of them know what you're doing so it's tricky so uh, in turn inside the musical community it's it's tricky to navigate these experimental things but the other thing that's tricky is is that if you do the experimental thing you have to maintain your own audience and there are guys here locally um you know I did it for a long time until the PhD and then there are guys here locally that do it great like Callum Mombelli. He's got a very, he spends a lot of time maintaining his audience base very successfully, so it does demand a different approach.
0: That was Siciliano, played by my guest in People of Note, Jonathan Crosley. Was it written by you too? No, that's uh, old J. S. Uh, Bach, um, but the arrangement was someone we
1: mentioned earlier, which was the arrangement was done by Carlo Mambelli. And that was taken from an album called My Friends and I, originally. It was reissued on James Grace's label as Jazz Cafe, and that was commissioned by Classic FM. A long time ago, but
0: it yeah. was. Yeah, we haven't done much of that recently. No, but that was, those were exciting times too, and uh, we, we used to put out CDs on a fairly regular basis. Yes, I think this was one of the first or second one. But now, this is perhaps the moment to talk about iTunes. Because oh, right. we, we left that earlier, and and CDs, in some ways, are a sort of thing of the past now. I'm, I'm quite interested to see you producing CDs, because uh, the more common thing now is to stick them on iTunes. We have this on iTunes, and we did do
1: some CDs, because we have found, like, you know, in the church environment or performance environment where this album is positioned, that, that people do want to buy CDs. We've also done something interesting, which... Uh which is released, I think, called a drop card. I don't know if you've seen that. Yes. It's a, a plastic card. It's a download card, which is common overseas. Interestingly, at the performances, the uptake on that has not been quite as high. I think it's unfamiliar. There's a certain suspicion. So just explain it. So it's just, it it's looks like, like a credit, credit card, card yeah. with a nice picture of the album sleeve on it, and you just type in a code in the back, and the thing comes immediately onto your, your device.
0: Very simple. Onto, I, onto your computer or your phone. phone or whatever. Or yeah. whatever you want, yeah, yeah. for your use. And that counts also as iTunes, or not? That's That's independent. Different. That's completely independent. independent.
1: So this is available on iTunes, which, and it's a, we we, pl- we use a company called CD Baby, and CD Baby places it on iTunes for you, and across all these other platforms like Spotify, which you don't get here. But it's really interesting the way the industry's gone. Is you you don't actually make money anymore of CD sales. The big thing is what's called uh, YouTube monetization. So you have to make music videos for all your tunes and then people watch it on YouTube because there's so much bandwidth overseas. People don't even bother using iTunes at the moment. They just watch the stuff when they want and then each time it gets watched, you earn a little money. And are you on that? Yep, we're doing that. I'm learning the ropes at the moment. Yeah, because making videos is another story. I know, it's, it's quite an investment, but it's become a lot easier making yeah. videos. I mean, with the, like iMovie on, on Apple and stuff, or even, you know, even for someone who's not so visual like me, you can get away and do something
0: cool. Oh, there you are, listeners. You can make your own records, you can make your own videos, <laughs> put them on iTunes. It's fun. Tell us about Tim Hecker and Sketch 2.
1: Okay, so so th- this is now, we're, we're going to stretch the listeners a little bit here. Um, this is uh, from a from an album called Dropped Pianos. And Tim Hecker is what we would call an ambient electronic composer and he's exploring the idea of, of what would you happen if you shoved a piano off a building, what would it sound like?
0: That was a piece by Tim Hecker called Sketch 2 and you said Jonathan was about pushing a piano off a building. Oh, was kind of a crass introduction, but the album is called Dropped Pianos. Dropped Pianos, sounds slightly wild, but you were saying off air that something similar happened here.
1: Yeah, there's, yeah. A, there's a, a, a colleague of mine, Zhao. He's done a series um, called Invisible Cities, you can see it on YouTube and they did a variety of ones. There's there's one where they time-lapse, where they take a chainsaw and chop up an electric guitar while music's playing. And then there's a fabulous one of a trumpet, where they put a trumpet in a metal press and you very, very slowly see the thing gets squished. And then the other one, which is similar to this, is they, on top of a building they took an upright piano and they burnt it on time-lapse, so you watch this poor piano. It's incredibly disturbing, it's just interesting how precious instruments are yeah. to musicians and to people.
0: Yeah, because there was a, a stage of, of bands also smashing instruments on stage, or who was that other guy who ate a bat or something? <laughs> was that, <laughs> <laughs> who was well, that guy? Okay, Osbourne. No, so Ozzy yeah. bit
1: the head off a, a, off a bat, yes, yeah. yes, well that, that's kind of theatrical. I mean, it was an era when shock value was there, but the the actual destruction of the instruments, I think the first recorded one was uh, The the Who, and uh, when they interviewed this famous BBC interview with the the drummer from The Who where they said, uh, um, uh, you know, uh, where did you learn to play drums like that? That's amazing. After you destroyed a kitten he said, mate, temp and bowling. (laughs) (laughs) But that was the first guys, and and that's carried on throughout Rock's history, I mean, right up to Nirvana. I'm a huge Nirvana fan.
0: Kurt Cobain was famous for wrecking instruments. Interesting. <laughs> Maybe we should introduce at a concert at the Linda. We should smash a few instruments and see I, what happens. Oh, I'll, I'll be there. <laughs> well, here's something else. Tom Waits' "Flowers Grave." I don't know whether this is a grave in that sense, is it? Oh, is no, it? no. This
1: is uh, Tom Waits. is... Um, I'm a huge fan of his voice. He's uh, um, he has this incredible gravelly voice. They, they say Tom Waits' voice sounds like you took a somebody's throat and soaked it in a vat of bourbon for a
0: year. What a voice. Definitely. Yeah. Well, you think of voices like uh, Louis Armstrong, too. I mean, that was quite something.
1: Very much in that tradition. Yeah. It sounds a lot like Satchmo.
0: Yeah. Tom Waits, that was. Flowers, grave. The choice of Jonathan Crosley, who's my guest in People of Note. And as you may have gathered from his choice of music, he explores some interesting areas of music and enjoys various different types of music also, which is a fantastic thing in musicians where people can enjoy various types of music. And I've been very lucky in my lifetime too, to have uh, come from a sort of choral music scene, moved over to orchestral and instrumental, uh, but now enjoy putting on lighter concerts, uh, pop concerts, Johnny Clegg with the orchestra, whatever it is, It's, it's been a fantastic life that I've enjoyed with all these various different styles of music that I've been able to uh, weld together with orchestras and so on. Crossover stuff has been fun.
1: Diversity is fantastic. It is.
0: And certainly I think in South Africa, this brings us back to our earlier conversation about you know, what we're able to do here in South Africa. I think there are so many different types of music in South Africa and we can blend them all together to make a, a more south african sound if you like for sure i mean
1: you know getting you know interdisciplinary as we say in academia but inter- interdisciplinary work in music where genres share but done in ways that are integrous
0: is going to give us such longevity and vitality and here comes another one from your latest cd kenna le molisa yes and this this one
1: is exactly what you were talking about this is a very traditional sutu church hymn And uh, on this one, I've referenced the bass guitar and guitar style um, of Richard Bono, who was played earlier in this program.
0: Kenna Le Molisa from Deep and Wide, the new CD, which I've got lying in front of me on the table in its beautiful packaging. Hmm. And you can get it as a CD or you can get it on iTunes. And Deep and Wide is the title. And that was one of the tracks from it. My guest is Jonathan Crosley, and we've been ranging quite widely through areas of music. Now, what do you, I know you're planning your next CD, but in in the longer term now, uh, what are you aiming at? Because you now hopefully will have your PhD shortly and you'll be capped and throned or whatever (laughs) whatever happens to you when you get a PhD. Uh, And then what longer term plans have you got? Well, at the moment I'm really throwing myself
1: back into creative work like this album we've just completed, the hymns album completed, um, Lucas Leggetti and I are planning to do something together in December, so I'm really trying to capitalize and, and and get going with recording material p- particularly again, and then hopefully we get to tour some of that material again. I haven't been to Europe
0: uh, on tour uh, since the end of 2013, which is quite a while now. So just tell us about those tours. How? for example how do you uh, engage with audiences there if they do they know you or do they know the people you're touring with
1: so the 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 amazing thing about i mean i was particularly touring the czech republic slovakia germany those sides and and there's such a deep culture of music there it, it actually it actually shocked me the very first time so i was playing i was touring this funk jazz project that I did, it was called Funk for the Shaolin Monk, and uh, went across there to tour it, and I had a bit of a panic on the first show, because we were in this large kind of pub, jazz club thing, about 100, 150 people, everyone drinking and talking and going on, and and I thought, well, it's going to be just like a jazz gig in South Africa, you're going to sit in the corner and play, and people will talk, and uh, I counted off the first tune, and the place went silent. It's quite a surprise, you know, like all of a sudden there's this venue filled with people, having a great time, boom, the music starts, they're dead quiet. And so, they were
0: really listening.
1: Yes, it's, it's like a classical concert just in a jazz club or pub. So the, the culture of listening there, it was really fantastic. And there's a network there of these, these clubs which are supported by the state. So over a number of years, we did build a
0: small following, but really every night of the week there's a different band from somewhere else all up, from all over the world. Funnily enough, I went to the Orbit the other night. People may be amazed to hear that Richard Koch goes to the Orbit. (laughs) Uh, Like when I went to a jazz concert in Grahamstown recently, someone said to me, gosh, slumming it, are you? (laughs) (laughs) I was very (laughs) amused by that. Uh, But there, actually, people were sitting listening. I was quite impressed. That's
1: something the original um, guy that started the Orbit actually put that culture in place. It was something he wanted to, to bring across from Europe. Here
0: comes a piece called La
1: Barossa. And what would be a guitarist uh, speaking on a program without bringing Paco into it? It's fantastic, Paco de Lucia, really an amazing innovator in the
0: style of flamenco. He kind of invented the modern style himself, you know? Well, and flamenco, there we go, another whole style of guitar playing. We were talking about this mixing of styles and I mean the guitar obviously is very widespread in many cultures throughout history. For sure. I yeah. mean, it's, I guess it's partly it's,
1: it's portable, you know, which makes it very usable by different people. And it's a good accompaniment instrument. It's a good accompaniment instrument, although I take offence at that. But it's a great solo it's instrument. It's a great <laughs> solo
0: instrument, but it can also be used for accompaniment. Is what I was trying uh, to right, say. Right,
1: right, right. Yes, of
0: course. <laughs> yeah, and it's of course it's widespread now, and and is played by amateurs, professionals. Uh, everyone, I mean, most people have strummed on a guitar at some stage in their life. And it permeates lots and lots of styles, sir. Yeah, which is exciting. You're listening to People of Note on Classic FM 102.7. My guest is Jonathan Crosley, who's a guitarist, composer, and as he refers to himself, a cyber protagonist. And actually, the little picture that I'm looking at in front of me here has him wearing some sort of electronic arm. (laughs) And we're going to find out more about that after the break, but first we're going to listen to the second movement of the piano sonata in B minor by Richard Strauss, played by another great recording artist, Glenn Gould. That was the famous Glenn Gould, playing the slow movement of the piano sonata in B minor by Richard Strauss, the choice of Jonathan Crosley. And that is going to lead us into another discussion, but we're going to have a short break first because it's just coming up to eight o'clock, and we'll be back after this. Welcome back to People of Note. This is the third and final hour. I'm talking to Jonathan Crosley, who's a guitarist and composer. He's just finished his PhD. He's just released a new CD called Deep and Wide. And we've just opened discussion by hearing a piece played by Glenn Gould.
1: Yeah, Glenn Gould has, I mean, I love the fact that he was obsessed with the studio, but what I also find really interesting the way he approaches time. He has a very, very distinct way of of placing the note. Like in the final cadence of that last piece we heard, the position of the resolution of the cadence is just exquisitely placed. And there's something of that in Pat Metheny for me as well. Pat Metheny's way of approaching the time and the swing is distinctly related. I mean, one wouldn't compare Metheny and Gould in many ways, but the time is is similar, you know, you get many jazz artists that will run through the swing, but Metheny places the note in very specific places, which I find
0: very interesting. And Glenn Gould gave up performing, actually, to do recordings. He preferred it. He did. I mean there's there's a fabulous there's some fabulous
1: writings you can order online of his, you know, his collected books of his writings, but, but there's one document I loved where he became so obsessed with time and its relationship to his pulse that there's these books of like readings he would practice for two minutes and then take a pulse reading and his blood pressure reading and write it down. Then he practice for another two minutes and take that like, he was really finicky about time, yeah.
0: Interesting and uh he was generally acknowledged to be a pretty great exponent of whatever he was playing yes i mean
1: like his i mean he's obviously known you know for the goldberg variations as his first recording and the later recording of the same but um for me this particular Ricard Strauss is exquisite i with my final year performance students be their guitar whatever i insist that they deeply listen to this particular work and generally in my experience of the last 10 years is it moves into tears and when
0: that happens i'm happy they can move on yeah there's there's something about that the release of tears yeah you're
1: realizing the depth of this the sincerity of that performance everyone needs to understand and imitate that
0: yeah it's a it's a very special thing to be touched by music yes and
1: it's it's something that doesn't happen all that often because in our lives we don't sit these days and listen that deeply i mean i grew up with the headphones lodged on my head you know, that was my Friday night when I was growing up, with was lying, listened to vinyl after vinyl. These days we just skim over stuff.
0: Yeah. So, and I'm looking forward to some time in the future when I can just sit back and listen to recordings. I actually hardly ever, I mean, it sounds amazing for someone who, who does the job that I do. I hardly ever listen I to know. music. Yeah. I know, as a professional. When you yeah. do that, when not you call me up, I'll come around and join you. We could <laughs> share that. a glass of whiskey <laughs> and, and some fantastic music fine words there from Jonathan Crosley and we're going to hear his next choice now we were talking about time here's the Kronos Quartet playing one of the movements by Philip Glass from his string quartet that was the third movement of the string quartet number five by Philip Glass played by the Kronos Quartet and the Kronos Quartet were quite famous because they played a lot of Kevin Volans' music also Uh, and they've I mean they've specialized in this sort of contemporary music yeah there was that period I mean when when uh, when if you wanted
1: to become famous as a composer um, you'd send something to the Kronos and hope they'd play it apparently they got like they were getting string quartets and stuff through the mail every second day and just yeah one of them would break your career yeah fantastic Philip Glass love Philip Glass it's so interesting because you know he's one of the quintessential minimalist composers like Terry Riley and uh, Steve Reich who we played earlier Morton Feldman Oh, Woodfield, yeah. yes, a different type of minimalism, yeah, yeah, yeah. but um, this kind of cyclical-based minimalism, and it, it's interesting for me. Like Philip Glass has a has a very specific melodic, arpeggiated style, which he's maintained throughout his career, whereas uh, Steve Reich is, is more pulse-based and and phrase-based. So quite distinctly different. I I lo- I love Philip Glass's stuff. You know, some of the later stuff he's is not so great, but. But I, I do like the fact that he's always interfaced with popular music. So um, he did a lot of stuff interfacing with electronic musicians, like the Aphex Twin, and he also did a great symphony with David, the late David Bowie, called
0: Heroes. And you've talked a couple of times about Lucas Ligeti. Yes. And here comes something using him now. So just tell us about this. So this is this is a concert that I gave, um, kind of
1: in April of 2015. Uh, it was a concert using the Cyber Guitar, the PhD research project, and uh, Lucas is playing with me here and we're doing a, a song by the band Nirvana, famous for smashing guitars, Richard, and uh, this song's called Lithium.
0: That was Lithium, mm-hmm. featuring Jonathan Crosley, Lucas Ligeti and the band Nirvana. Now this is the moment to talk about your bionic arm here. Because the photograph that I'm looking at in front of me, and I know this doesn't make good radio for you listeners, but it's a picture of Jonathan holding a guitar and he's got a sort of electronic attachment on his left arm with wires sticking out of it and something wrapped around your hand. Just tell us what this is and what it does. So so the field,
1: the field that this machine emerges out of is called gestural interfacing. Um, and specifically in the field of gestural interfacing, augmented instruments. And augmented instruments are not new, for instance, synthesizers or like a different instrument altogether, it's taking an existing instrument and adding to it. So, one of the things I wanted to do with the cyber guitar, um, which is this mechanical exoskeleton that you climb into, was to try and develop something that would allow me to continue to play Exactly as I've always played. So with all the fine motor movements of the right and left hand from the classical guitar, all the nuances, but be able to access new extended unimagined controls. So the way I've done that is there's things attached to my hand where I can flex my wrist. So on your wrist, there's three ro- degrees of rotation. And each of those three degrees has a, com- a controller attached to it that's then mapped to a computer whereby I can modify the sound. And it works. It does work, <laughs> strangely enough. <laughs> <laughs> it took a long time to get it working. Um, in that last recording, I was actually um, i was playing on the classical guitar with the suit clamped on, so I was modifying the sound of the classical guitar while I was playing
0: in very subtle ways. You know, I remember, um, you'll have to remind me of his name now, uh, Jeff Cassidy, was it, who had an electronic valve instrument. That's Bruce. Bruce, Bruce Cassidy. Cassidy. He lives Bruce in Canada Cassidy, now. Yes. Yeah, he's still
1: doing that fabulously. Really? Winning, yeah, winning awards. It's called an EWI, and he's, I think he's made his own
0: hacked one, hardware yeah. hacked version of it. Because, in fact, we did a concerto for EVI and Orchestra. Oh, really? Yeah. I remember that now. Yeah. No, I remember uh, that. It was written by someone who was at Witz at the time. Wow. Yeah. So uh, it's, a, I guess, a similar sort of electronic adaptation of what sounds like a sort of trumpet
1: yeah that 's that 's specifically a synthetic instrument yeah. the ewi so it it's, although it uses the embouchure and you blow into it it it, dis- it digitally triggered um, my concern with this research project was I wanted to remain in every essence a guitarist, a classical guitarist with all the hand movements, but yet add to that in ways that didn 't interfere so who did all the electronics for you um, yeah, I did it. I had some assistance uh, throughout the period as I, you know things i didn 't know how to do. Um, like Mr.
0: Google and uh, other people at adverts. Something different now, you left me in the dark. Elvis Costello, you left me in the dark. This sounds awfully normal all of a sudden. <laughs>
1: <laughs> well, it is a deutsche gramophone, I will have your listeners know, deutsche gramophone recording um, from the early 2000s. Elvis Costello, Famous for kind of being an edgy rock musician, initially a punk musician, but then doing bluegrass and compositions of his own. This particular album uh, is an album of kind of love songs. And I don't know if you know, he's married to Diana Krall.
0: So I didn't these, know that.
1: Ah, there you go. So these songs were written for her.
0: There we go. See, a normal old love song, oh. except she left him in the dark Yeah, <laughs> That's not so good. But now you've mentioned several times also in the course of this conversation that we're having about James Grace. Yes. And you've done several collaborations with him.
1: Yes, we've yet to release a duet record, I must say. It's something that we are both talking about. Now, come on! Well... Come on! Yeah, someone had to finish a degree and... Anyway, and had children, I guess. But uh, anyway, James James and I, yeah, we've been working together now again since 2010. We actually know each other since 1997, before James went to the UK and I remained here. But it's great to be working with him again.
0: This is Ennio Morricone, Cinema Paradiso, Jonathan Crosley, my guest in People of Note, and James Grace. Two famous South African guitarists, Jonathan Crosley and James Grace, performing music by the famous Ennio Morricone, Cinema Paradiso. Well, you mentioned there the possibility of your playing together. I mean, that's another project you could do. It would be a very nice project, and he's got the CD company, uh, yes, stringwise stringwise, mm, string-wise records. so you can put one out you've got your own one now this but presumably uh this the worship CDs, ensa would produce particularly music connected to that yes type yeah, it would, of it would be a church category yeah. Church yeah. Right, yes. yeah yeah so uh, lots of possibilities in the future and please remember Northwoods is awaiting ah. a recital by jonathan crosley and james grace yes we did a, we did a great uh, uh, new program last year which we did at um
1: and um, at the gallery concert we did one yeah. one you know one of this as well but it was a new program of some material from Mexico and some unheard material here locally
0: so, so there we are lots going so you haven't been entirely uh, without playing while you've been doing your PhD no I mean I you know I'm definitely playing all the
1: time and yeah. I mean as music director at uh, the church where I work, yeah. I mean I'm playing seven days a week still um, what I have me do is concertizing as much as I used to so tell us a bit about that
0: work Is that you say seven days a week? I mean, that's pretty busy.
1: Yeah, we the the team there is it's a fantastic team It's a multicultural multi-generational church Which has its own set of challenges which we try to address and express through the music It also does something unusual is that the mm-hmm. it's an all-volunteer system and we have about 65 musicians volunteering there and we cycle them at, uh, around the various teams um, on a weekly basis. We have four services on a Sunday, which we have to manage. And so week on week, we, I come up or and with the assistance of my other music directors, come up with improvised, improvised musical arrangements on the fly based upon the type of musicians we're working with. So that keeps you busy. It certainly does. <laughs> yes, yeah. it certainly does. Fantastic.
0: So tell us about the next piece now.
1: Well, this is something I actually put in because I thought you might like it. It's um, a fabulous pianist. His name's Tigran Hamasyan. Sadly for me, he's only 30 years old, which is quite depressing considering the way he's playing. Um, but this is an album that is going around 100 churches in the world currently, and it's traditional Armenian
0: choral music. What an interesting piece that is. Bazum. I can't even pronounce it. Neither can I, to be quite honest. <laughs> it looks like Bazum and
1: Kor kud. It's it's those it's those languages from that territory where, yeah. the, where the the
0: lots of lots of um, well, consonants the, yeah the vowels are the missing. vowels yeah the vowels are missing.
1: There's a there's a famous word in, in, in Czech which is K R K K that's the spelling.
0: <laughs> How do you <laughs> sounds familiar to me? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> well, that was interesting. Tigran Hamasayan, the pianist there, were p- playing Armenian music. And coming up, I see another uh, sele- another piece from your CD.
1: Yes, again, a, a famous choral work, Amazing Grace. Um, and on this version, which is from Deep and Wide, the CD, w- we've done this in uh, four languages. The aim was some sort of racial reconciliation kind of theme to it. So it's, it starts in English, it goes through Shona, um, Sutu, and Zulu. Well, that was Amazing Grace uh, from my most recent album. Just so you know, Richard, the album is under the artist name Eliska Crossley, I-L-I-S-K-A, not under my name, because uh, she
0: curated the project, and the album's called Deep and Wide. There we are, and you can get that, and you can get it on iTunes, and also if you Google it, Deep and Wide, yes. you will find it. Yes. Now, uh, we've got a little time left, and you've got three more pieces to play, and this is another one from Tigran Hamaseyan, that amazing pianist who played with the Armenian Orchestra. Let's listen. It's called Holy, uh, well, I don't know what Surp Surp maybe may mean Holy Holy. It's Holy Holy
1: in Armenian. That was Tigran Hamasayan again, and that was uh, Holy Holy Holy, Surp soup with his band, actually. So it was just piano and, and, and a female voice. And that, I love the way he plays it because it reminds me a lot of Glenn Gould, actually,
0: the way he approaches the time. And Domenico Scarlatti, we're going quite quickly now because we're sort of running out of time a bit. Domenico Scarlatti, fantastic uh, harpsichord provider. He he, he wrote a lot of SSCZ for harpsichord called Sonatas. Here's one arranged, presumably, for two guitars. Jonathan Crosley and James Grace, once again, playing Sonata there by Domenico Scarlatti. And he wrote hundreds of those sonatas, some of them very flashy pieces really designed to show off the skills of a harpsichord player but here transcribed for two guitars and i mean it jonathan when you and james are together again please put in a concert at northwoods we certainly you will we said yeah will. we'd love to have you there again well we've just about come to the end of the program now and i just want to tell you that my guest has been jonathan crosley guitarist composer and cyber protagonist <laughs> Who plays with a bionic arm sometimes <laughs> on his guitar? Just finished his PhD. About to produce a CD with Lucas Ligeti and lots of things in the pipeline. So I want to thank you for taking the time out to come thank and you, talk to us here, and then perhaps you can introduce the final piece on the programme.
1: Um, yeah, thank
0: you. This this
1: this uh, track alone again. It's taken from an album by Django Bates and uh, I love the title of the album, it's called You Live and Learn and he says in brackets apparently and this is called Alone Again in brackets naturally and it features the Brodsky String Quartet.
0: That was Alone Again Naturally by Gilbert O'Sullivan, Django Bates and the Brodsky Quartet performing it. The final choice of Jonathan Crosley who's been my guest in People of Note. Thank you, Jonathan. Thank you, Pitt, for helping us to put the program together. And thank you all at home for listening. It's been great to have your company.